Hello, I'm Neil Aitchison and welcome to a Willett Warwick podcast. You join me at the third British Shakespeare and Association conference at the University of Warwick. And the subject of this podcast from the conference is Speaking Shakespeare. And joining me directly from their seminar on that subject is author and playwright Paul Allen, who is also a fellow in creativity at the Capital Centre here at the University of Warwick. With him are Patrice Niabana, who is an actor originally from Sierra Leone, and Ben Crystal, an expert on the pronunciation of the Shakespearean period. Ben, let me turn to you first, and since that we're talking about speaking Shakespeare, give us a quick blast of how Shakespeare would have sounded in the Elizabethan times. Of course. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our sin, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil lands unclean. From forth the fatal lines of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadvented, piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. And that's a real sort of mix of uh, accents you've explained in the seminar that... Uh the uh, Elizabethan voice there is a real sort of mixture of tones. Yeah, well, there was no standard accent as we know. And, uh, we know received pronunciation from 200 years ago. But back in Shakespeare's time, there was it, London was a real melting pot of accents. James King James would have uh, had a Scottish accent. Walter Raleigh would have, been, would have uh, sounded Devonish. Shakespeare himself was from Warwick. And when you hear that, uh, the, the OP, as we call it, the original pronunciation, everybody seems to get a resonance from it. Americans say they sound, oh, I can hear American in it. And, and Irish people say, oh, it sounds a bit Irish. And, and of course, it does have all those things because all those accents came from London. And how does that affect how you would play Shakespeare on the stage then? Well, the main way it affects uh, the way you play Shakespeare is it speeds you up. Um, because it's a, it's a, it seems to be a quicker accent. It's not as, uh, as strict or as formal in the mouth. And, uh, and it's, an, it's got an earthier quality too, so it speeds you up. When uh, the Globe did a production of Romeo and Juliet a few years ago, they choreographed the dance where Romeo and Juliet uh, first meet to the text. When they performed it in original pronunciation, uh, it was, the text was so much faster, it finished way before the dance did. And so, um, and, and so just in terms of speed and lightness, uh, it, uh, it helps. And it affects our understanding as well, that you were explaining. Well, yeah, absolutely. There's a great example in uh, As You Like It, when Jaques has just met uh, Touchstone in the forest. And he says, I met a fool, a fool in the forest. Uh, and he talks uh, about a joke that, Jake, uh, that Touchstone makes. He says, uh, thus we may see how the world wags. Tis but an hour ago since it was nine, and after one hour more twill be eleven. And so from hour to hour we ripe and ripe, and then from hour to hour we rot and rot, and thereby hangs a tale. And Jaques says that that made him laugh so hard, he, his lungs crowed like Chanticleer. Well, there's nothing very funny in that until you realise that in OP, hour would have been pronounced or, which is the same pronunciation as whore. So then when you hear it, Thus we may say, Cotha, how the world wags. Tis but an hour ago since it was nine, and twill be one or more, and after one or more twill be a len. And so from or to or we ripe and ripe, like rape and rape, and then from or to or we rot and rot, and thereby hangs a tail. So it's a very bawdy joke, but it doesn't come across unless it's in OP. So what benefits do we have of uh, speaking Shakespeare then in an Elizabethan uh, voice, if you like, uh, or what do we miss out on having a, a, a clipped English accent to <laughs> well, performance? I would say, I mean, when you go to, let's say, the Shakespeare's Globe, you're in as close as an original setting as the plays would have been in. 
I very strongly advocate using uh, the folio text as much as possible because, again, that's as close to Shakespeare as you can possibly get. Reading Shakespeare with those oldie spellings, also it reminds you of the time that they were written in, which is 400 years ago. It's an awful long time. And I think a lot of problems with uh, approaching Shakespeare these days is that we've got our 21st century, now I was going to say 20th century, head on our shoulders. And it's very hard to get into, for example, with Macbeth, why are the witches scary? Well, to us, witches are sort of green-skinned old hags with warts on their noses, but to the Elizabethans who are in the middle of the European witch craze, witches would have been terrifying for them. They've also got a Scottish king on the throne. Anything that will help you get into the mindset of an Elizabethan is only a good thing and closer to Shakespeare, and it helps us break down the barriers, and I think OP is a very good way of doing that. Should every production then be done in an Elizabethan voice? That uh, is there an argument for that? We should go back to 400 years ago. I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm very loath to say Shakespeare should be done in any particular way, other than you know observing the meter, because obviously it's written in meter, and to ignore it would be foolhardy. Um, I think there are definitely advantages to doing productions in OP. You can. It, it's definitely opening up the text in a way that um, you know we're finding new things that haven't been seen before, haven't been seen for a few hundred years. Um, but I, uh, you know, you've got Barry Rutter doing Northern Broadsides of Shakespeare in, you know, in a Northern English accent. You've got Patrice here who uh, has performed Shakespeare in his uh, uh, natural African accent. I think any uh, new thing you can bring to Shakespeare, there's going to be positives and negatives to it. But it, I don't think it should be done in one straight way because it dismisses so many other beautiful ways of performing it. And so turning to something completely different, which is not Elizabethan uh, voice, but to uh, our West African take on speaking Shakespeare. And Patrice, you're going to give us a, a quick blast of, of that interpretation. Just to explain, first of all, what you're going to do and uh, a little bit of the context to it. Yes, uh, about two years ago I had the privilege and uh, honour of um, playing Gower in Catherine Hunter's Pericles at The Globe when Mark Rylance was artistic director. And uh, I'm very interested in um, storytelling, orature and the classical tradition of griotism, which is you know, storytelling and performance from West Africa. And uh, and I see Shakespeare as very much a griot in that he would use stories, history, proverbs, you know, to tell a fantastically profound story. So um, I'll just give you a little bit of what Gower sounded like uh, using the verse. Yala, yala makuduma Sera, 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 sera kakuduma lemie, yora kasoko nave male. To sing a song that old was sung, from ashes ancient Gawa is come, assuming man's infirmities to glad your ear and please your eyes. It hath been sung at festivals on ember eaves and holy ales, and lords and ladies in their lives have read it for restoratives. The purchase is to make men glorious. That's fantastic. Uh, and you were explaining also that uh, you don't quite use the uh, West African voice completely in a, in a work, say, at the, the RSC. No. That, uh, so just... In Tell us how you tone it down a little bit, perhaps. Well, yes, uh, um, I'm, I'm playing Warwick, the Kingmaker, in Michael Boyd's uh, Henry, the History Cycles. And um, that particular uh, uh, cultural um, proposition is not necessary for this. Um, but um, 
because standard English is not my normal linguistic mode, I speak Patois, I speak broken English, I speak French, I have to, in order to let the verse sound as natural as possible, I find I have to go back to my own uh, linguistic familiar modes in order to get the sense. So when I try and find the sense in the verse, um, I would do something like this. This is a speech uh, that Warwick makes as he's um, doing a little bit of Colombo detective work over a dead body. So um, getting ready to play it in standard English, I would um, paraphrase in, um, in my own way of speaking and then move towards the standard English uh, uh, by drawing back. But in order, to, I do that in order to try to be much, much more natural. Uh, so the line goes, see how the blood is settled in his face. Oft have I seen a timely parted ghost of ashy semblance, meagre, pale and bloodless. So I would go, ah, see how the blood is settled inside his face. Uh, I don't see one timely parted ghost of ashy semblance in face of meagre, pale, bloodless. So trying to get those um, contours, I would then, you know, trying to retain it, I would go, see how the blood is settled in his face? Oft have I seen a timely parted ghost of ashy semblance, meagre, pale and bloodless, being all descended to the labouring heart. And how does this inform our interpretation of performance of Shakespeare? Well, maybe um, hotter climates tend to um, be much more um, people from hotter climates. You know, the vowels, you know, we go, ah, ee, ah, oh, oh, oh. So, um, you know, Italians and Africans, we, we use that, you know, we really go into the vowels. So maybe, um, you know, there might be different colours of meaning that might come out, for instance, you know, and also I think it's just, it's just nice. Uh, we live in London, for instance, there's 300 languages spoken. And I think by being able to hear verse or Shakespeare that's, you know, amazing stories from 400 years ago, you know, come alive by allowing us to hear difference in Britain, I think um, is, a, is, is, is very Shakespearean because in Shakespeare's time you had all, it was a melting pot of all sorts of people, all sorts of cultures. And, you know, the greatest playwright was drawing and being influenced by this eclecticism. And I think that, uh, you know, if, 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 we, if we're influenced by that spirit, then we can only enrich ourselves. It's making it more contemporary. The monoculturality, I think, of Shakespeare in mainstream houses, I think, needs to be addressed because we're not a monocultural... Um, society anymore and I don't mean any I don't mean um, a kind of benign kind of multiculturalism I just mean uh, for instance in our company the RSC there in our actual company there must be at least 16 different cultures you know or cultural backgrounds or heritages but the predominant mode we're rehearsing is well linguistically standard English and that seems to me that we are um, not deliberately excluding, but it seems that um, we are maybe missing a trick. Okay. And now let's turn to uh, Shakespearean actress uh, Janet Dale um, and 
you were pointing out in the seminar that there are a lot of ways uh, in speaking Shakespeare that indicates character, for instance. Well, some of the things I try to do to find a character, there's two prongs to this answer, is, uh, for instance, ask what that character says about herself, what other characters say about her, adjectives they used to describe her, for instance, and um, what pressures are on that character, and how much does she say when and how. And I found this particularly relevant when I was playing Amelia, because I realised that that woman... I just charted it through. She said nothing at the beginning, then she said a couple of words, then she said a few more words, then a few more, a sentence possibly, and it went on like that. She was almost gagged, almost dumb. And by the end, though, because of the exigencies of the situation and her love for her mistress Desdemona and her worry about what's happening, she actually finds a voice throughout the production and ends up almost, I've described it a bit like she is like a, an avenging angel or a prosecuting counsel and she rounds on Iago with speeches that are worthy of the greatest male heroes, I think. So after being a gagged woman, she's finally set free to speak and finds a voice. Her last line is, so speaking as I think, I die, I die. And then the other pointers, which are quite technical, really, about how to find things out from the text. I'll just run through one or two of them. You've got to look for things like antitheses in Shakespeare and play them. Really play them. You know, black, white, cold, hot. Those are very simplistic ones. There are loads of them. And he uses them all the time. Find a storyline in what you're saying. So if you have a long speech and you're angry... It's no good just playing the anger. You've got to find the storyline through what you're saying. Otherwise, the audience will simply receive generalised emotion, generalised anger. And they might be impressed, but they won't understand. And I think that's a fault we're all prone to, all actors who do Shakespeare. And it's ever so hard not to do it. But if you look for the storyline within even just one speech, you will, uh, it'll help you to get there. The other things that I look for are alliteration, hard or soft continents. For example, what studied torments tyrant hast for me that makes it sharper, her attack on the king. If you have a new sentence starting halfway through a Shakespearean line, it does suggest drive, pressures on the character, the thoughts are going quickly. And we see that in Goneril when she's planning what she's going to do about her very worrying old father who's going gaga. Half lines, half sentences. She's thinking on her feet. What shall I do? How will I sort this out? Often if you get a line with monosyllables in it, it means that you can go slower. The character's going more slowly. Something possibly of great importance is being said. If it's polysyllabic, it means you can go much quicker. And the, the thing about which there's some dispute is uh, perhaps don't ever pause in the middle of the line just because you're thinking. But that clashes with Peter Hall's instruction, which we think was to obey the caesura in the middle of the line. But I was always told, and probably it was my bad which, acting... Which is, the, uh, which is the pause, the actual pause in the middle of the line. The caesura is a pause, especially for sense, usually around the middle of a line, a verse line. So don't, don't pause in the middle of the line is what I was urged to do, probably because of my bad acting. Um, don't take thinking time outside the structure which the verse gives you. 
which it sets up for you. You have to do your thinking, your feeling on the line itself. It's a habit that all young actors do. I did it myself. I still do it, unfortunately. So you've got to think on the line. Look for the important words in a long sentence. Look at the adjectives used. They're often very telling, very interesting. And when a character has too many syllables in one line, it's usually an indication they're getting out of control. Paul, let me just turn to you. And all this uh, demonstrates, doesn't it, the importance of speaking Shakespeare? The importance of speaking Shakespeare, I think, is, is to do with the fact that here we are talking about how do you interpret Shakespeare as if he's a foreign language? He's not a foreign language. He's a very poetic writer who deals in emotion and storytelling. And and the key word I'd like to use is, is experience Shakespeare rather than interpret it. Indeed, one of the great voice teachers, Patsy Rodenberg, always says, speaking Shakespeare is not about shouting. It's not about emoting. It's about experiencing. And I always recommend to students, for instance, who are doing, not necessarily acting students at all, students who are, who are reading um, any subject which brings Shakespeare into it, read the plays and read them out loud. And if you've got plenty of time, read them as if you are all the characters. It takes a lot longer than they think it's going to do, but that's how you start to feel the play. Now, there are lots of arguments, there are lots of clever intellectual jokes and things in Shakespeare, but in the end, they're not the point. The point is the emotional journey that he takes you through, after which you are possibly a better person at the end of it, and um, not the characters necessarily, but you as, as an auditor. So I, th I think that speaking it is actually a key to understanding a central part of our cultural heritage. Therefore, speaking Shakespeare is a way of beginning to understand who we are.